This is Out of Office for January 2015. Seven Out of Office Resolutions for the Coming Year. Welcome to the Out of Office Podcast, where you'll learn how to work from virtually anywhere by using the internet for greater convenience, comfort, and freedom. Your hosts are Chris Pudney and Gihan Pereira. G'day, Gihan. How are you doing? Hello, Chris. How are you? I'm really well, and Happy New Year to you. Thanks, Gihan. Happy New Year. And it is the new year, so that's uh, helped us to set our theme for our podcast, which is out-of-office New Year's resolutions. But look, I read recently, Gihan, that um, it's not necessarily the case that you should wait until January to make your resolutions. You can make them pretty much any time of the year that you like. Yeah, look, I agree with that. I think that lots of people, they do make those New Year's resolutions just because it's New Year's Day. And so I think they sometimes do just because they think, okay, I'm going to turn over a new leaf this year. And yet, mm-hmm. the, some of those resolutions are so shallow that by the 2nd of January, they've already given them up. That's right. February is um, traditionally the month for forgetting your resolutions. <laughs> exactly. Um, but I do agree. I think I think it's worthwhile, uh, especially in our world that's changing so fast now, not waiting till not waiting 12 months to reset or re, uh, to look at your goals again and some new habits that you might be setting. In fact, I like the idea of every three months uh, planning for the next 12 months. So I reckon these resolutions that we're saying are maybe more like goals or habits that we set ourselves for the next 12 months. But um, we're going to stick with tradition at least for this podcast and and set our resolutions or suggest some resolutions in January. Yeah, and the way that we've organised this, as you said, Chris, we've got seven of them. And broadly, we've grouped them as two two things that you could start doing, two things that you could stop doing, two things that you could that you could continue doing and one more bonus one. And we've kind of taken a bit of a broad brush to this, to approach to this, Chris, because uh, we've, we've got two things that we recommend that you start doing, but you may be doing them already and two things that you, that we're saying you should stop doing, but you may have already stopped doing them. So it doesn't necessarily apply to everyone. However, this is in our, in our experience, many out of office workers have certain habits and we reckon that there are perhaps two things that you start doing to change them, two to stop and two to continue. So why don't you start with the first one that we should start, that you reckon that people should start doing, Chris? Okay, Gihan. So the first one that I'm suggesting is that you start using the Pomodoro technique. Now, the Pomodoro technique is one of several techniques that are about helping you to focus on your work without being distracted or interrupted. And at the core of these approaches is repeating cycles of working intensely for a period of time and then taking a short break. Now, in the Pomodoro technique, you work for 25 minutes and then you take a five-minute break. But it's really up to you how long those periods are, not really, really long. Um, In my case, I tend to take 40 minutes for my work cycle and then I follow that with a five-minute break. So you can experiment to find out what works best for you. In the case of the Pomodoro technique, it's called that because of the tomato-shaped kitchen timer that's used to signal the end of each of your, your periods of work or rest. And the emphasis of the, peri- of the Pomodoro technique is about just having really low-tech uh, tools uh, as a way of coming up with um, improving your productivity. Now, central to these techniques is the idea that you stay fresh focused by taking short breaks after each of your work periods because there's research that shows that you work more productively if you take regular breaks compared if you work intensely for long stretches and don't take a break. So that latter approach tends to wear you out, you get fatigued, you lose focus and you're not as productive. 
Another component of the Pomodoro technique is that you log your work activity. So this serves a couple of purposes. Firstly, you get to compile data on how long it's taking you to complete your tasks. So this helps you assess your performance against any targets that you might have. It also gives you the data for coming up with accurate estimates for any future work that you might be asked to do. And you can also monitor whether you're getting steady improvements in your productivity. The other thing that the Pomodoro and similar techniques provide that by, by logging your work activity is that it helps you identify when you're getting interrupted or distracted and then you can come up with processes for dealing with them and in the Pomodoro technique they suggest that the actions that you deal with these interruptions is either you just ignore them or you deal with it immediately, you defer it or you eliminate it completely. Yeah, one other benefit that I get from using the Pomodoro technique, Chris, is that it gives me a a finish time to a task so especially it's, it's i find it especially useful for big tasks so i've been doing a lot of writing over the last couple of months and you know to write a chapter might take much more than 25 minutes or 40 minutes so it's a, it's a sort of task that i might put off until i feel that i've got enough time to complete it however with the pomodoro technique where i set my and i, I do the same as you i set 40 minute intervals uh, i set the timer for 40 minutes and i just write during that time knowing that it doesn't matter where i get up to at the end of the 40 minutes i can just stop so it kind of gives me um, smaller goals even though they're kind of artificial goals but that still keeps me motivated yeah very good okay so the next one is another one around goal set goal setting and i reckon start doing your plans around 90 day projects so instead of having 12-month goals, uh, which is uh, kind of the traditional way that goal setting works and the traditional way that New Year's resolutions work, instead of having that, compress them into 90-day projects because they're, it's much easier to look ahead just 90 days. It's easier to get feedback along the way. And again, with our fast-moving world, there's less chance that your goalposts are going to be moved during 90 days. And uh, I did this with my book writing project. I, I set aside 90 days to to finish writing the first draft of my book. And I had a plan for each week and I had a little spreadsheet showing how much it achieved along the way. And I finished that first draft. It's a very rough first draft, but that was my goal to get to a, a first draft. And I finished that two weeks ahead of schedule. So I'm kind of going to do this with my other goals as well. So I've got other goals around my speaking business, around my membership site, even a personal fitness goal. Um, instead of setting aside uh, 12-month goals or instead of setting no goals at all, set 90-day projects or three-month goals. And, and within those 90-day those goals, Kihan, there's this idea of having um, an overarching theme as well that, that does sort of run for a year or even longer so that the goals sort of feed into the, a particular theme that you might have chosen or selected uh, for, for longer-term goal setting. I think that's right. I think if you you can do that, I think that that is a little bit of icing on the cake, Chris. So one of my clients and colleagues, he's decided that his theme for the year is us. So his theme is uh, all about this. His year is going to be all about collaboration and partnership. So all his goals that he's going to have along the year are going to be somehow linked into that theme. And if you've got that and you can find something that energizes you, great. But even if you don't, I think it's worthwhile taking your projects and if they're big projects, bringing them down into 90 days. And if they're little bits here and there, compile, compile them into a 90-day goal or 90-day project. Okay, so work top down or bottom up. Yep. yep. 
Okay, so the third resolution that uh, we have is to stop distractions and interruptions. And recently we spoke about Dr. Heidi Grant Halverson's book, Nine Things Successful People Do Differently. And Dr. Grant Halverson advocates focusing on what it is you're going to do rather than what it is that you won't do because there's some psychology research that suggests that people who focus on negation, uh, so what they won't do, tend to perform more poorly than people who focus on um, a positive way of approaching things. And one of the tools that Dr. Grant Halverson um, suggests uses a lot is what she calls these if-then rules. So if or when a particular trigger occurs, then you perform a particular action or response. So I talked about using the Pomodoro technique or similar techniques earlier and mentioned that um, a component of that is to record when you get interrupted or distracted. And this provides you with an opportunity to develop one of these if-then rules for handling these kinds of situations. So uh, if a particular distraction or interruption occurs, that's the trigger, then some actions that you can perform are things like ignore it. So um, if someone's knocking on your door or ringing your doorbell, then just ignore it, continue working, and you can deal with it later. Uh, or, or, or that's an alternative option is to deal with it later. So if uh, someone phones your landline, then let it go to messages and check your messages later. Or you can come up with an action that is going to eliminate it completely. So focusing on eliminating things. So one of the ways you can do that then is how you set up your workspace. So you can set up your workspace so that the potential for interruptions or distractions is eliminated or at least minimised. And there are several several ways you can do that. So for instance, where you choose your workspace to be, try and choose a quiet separate room, preferably one, preferably one that's got a door so you can shut out uh, noise and interruptions. If you share a house with people, then uh, inform your family, your housemates, that you've got certain working hours and during those working hours you're not to be interrupted because you'll be working. Similarly, uh, you'll have colleagues that you're working with, so inform them of the appropriate communications channels to use to contact you. So when it's appropriate to use email or instant messaging or phoning or whatever. Also, shut down and close your social media apps. So these are constantly setting off alerts and chimes, letting you know that someone's tweeted or updated their status. They're a constant source of interruption or distraction. So just turn them off when you're doing work. And similarly, things like email clients or, or other messaging tools, they can also um, set off chimes and alerts when they've got something to tell you. So they're a source of distraction as well. So you can go as far as turning off those alerts as well. You can even take your landline off the hook or put your phone, uh, put your smartphone on silent or you can even go to the extent of going completely offline and work in isolation if you need to. Okay, good. So distractions and interruptions lead very nicely into my next resolution that I recommend, Chris, which is stopping your overflowing inbox. So many people still have a major problem with email and even if you do some of the things that you've just mentioned, Chris, like... Uh, being able to work solidly on on a task for a certain period of time, the, at the end of the task, you get back and you find that there's a whole bunch of new email that's arrived. And it, it does cause a lot of stress and frustration for many people, not just out-of-office workers, but for many people. So I think one of my goals this year is, and I'm on a bit of a mission, to help people get control of their email and 
to do that, I recommend that you get to inbox zero. In other words, you've got nothing in your inbox. Um, obviously, email arrives in your inbox and you have to deal with it. But the idea is that once you open your inbox, you do something with that email and then suddenly you're back to zero again so that you don't constantly have the stress of looking at an inbox which has got a whole bunch of email that you haven't actioned uh, and some that you may not have even opened and read because you just don't have the time to do that. So, I've got a process to help you get to Inbox Zero. So I'm going to share two things here. So one is a recommendation for how to get to Inbox Zero to start with and then how to stay that way. So if you've already got uh, a few hundred messages or sometimes a few thousand messages in your inbox, here's how you get to Inbox Zero. First, highlight every message in your inbox and delete it. Then you've done it. Inbox Zero. (laughs) Problem solved. Um, so I'm, I'm only half joking here. So that, I reckon that is the first thing you should do. The first thing you should do is take everything in your inbox and then delete it. But it doesn't get deleted forever. What happens is it goes to trash. But you take that first step, so you get nothing in your inbox. Then you go to your trash and have a quick look through all the messages that you deleted and anything that you really, really, really think you need to keep then you undelete it or move it out of the trash. So it goes back into your inbox. Um, now, the reason you do it this way is that you're more likely to let a f- let more things go that way. So there may be old newsletters that you've just been saving up to read and you've just never got around to reading them. If you keep them in the inbox and only trash the things that you want to really delete, then those things might stay. Whereas if you trash them first and then go, do I really really need that to to read that, you're more likely to say no. So you're probably going to move um, fewer things back to your inbox that way. But don't leave them there. The next thing to do is to create a new folder. And so we're doing, we're recording this in January 2015. So you might call this email from 2014 and you create that folder and then take all those emails that you've just undeleted and then move that into that um, 2014 folder. Now, you haven't lost anything. They're still there, um, but they're just out of your inbox. And uh, you're, you're no worse off than you were before. In fact, you're a lot better off because your inbox is empty. You've got rid of a whole bunch of stuff that you were never going to get around to read anyway, let's face it. And anything that you really needed is still there waiting for you to process later, but it's just not in your inbox. And then the process to keep your inbox empty. The key to this is you just separate your processing time or you're quickly scanning your email uh, from your processing time. So when you check your inbox and there's email there, then I reckon there's only two things you can do with any message. You can delete it if you don't want to keep it or you can file it. That's all. You can only delete it or file it, um, and some of it's filing it for later. So I've got a folder called today, which means that things that I know that I'm going to deal with later on today, then I will file that message from my inbox into my today folder. Now, that could be as simple as something like somebody sends me an email and all I want to do is acknowledge them and send a thank you note. I never send a thank you note from the inbox. I never send it immediately. I file it in the today folder. And then when I get around to it later, say say I'm taking a break during one of my Pomodoro intervals, then I might go through that today folder and then quickly reply to things. But the idea is that when I open up my inbox, I see the email sitting there, I get rid of it all, either by deleting it or filing it, then my inbox is back to zero, and then I get back to whatever I was doing before. Now, if a really urgent email comes in and I need to tackle it, that's fine. After I cleared out my inbox, I go to the Today folder and tackle that urgent email. So the idea is that you you check your inbox, empty it out, and psychologically you feel you feel really good about that, that you've got nothing sitting in your email inbox, and you can process that in your own time and according to your own priorities. 
Yes, Gihan, this is a really powerful technique. I use it too, and uh, I can't uh, emphasize how, how important it is. Having an overflowing inbox is really um, overwhelming for people and it's something it's a tool that we use extensively as out of office workers and it just improves your productivity so much if you've got a neat tidy inbox that uh, isn't overflowing you can actually get work done in fact tony shea who's the ceo of zappos that our online shoe retailer uh, he has this he created this concept called a yesterbox so he has this rule that he never responds to any email on the day that he receives it what he does is he files it into a, uh, into like a yesterday box and his rule is that when he processes email he only processes yesterday's email unless there's something really urgent and again the, the exception is if there's something that really does need his attention straight away but he finds it most of the email that he gets doesn't need an immediate response. So it can quite happily be filed away for responding 24 hours later. And I think that's a reasonably good habit to get into, to go, okay, actually, the person really doesn't need a response straight away. So why am I diverting myself from other priorities to to respond to them? Uh, so even if you don't go that far to that extreme, at least have that principle in mind that uh, you've got your own priorities and they should they should take precedence, they should take priority over other people's emails, uh, provided you don't you don't inconvenience other people by doing that. Yes, yeah, and email really isn't the tool you should be choosing if you have an urgent request of someone. It's it's uh, responding uh, in a deferred fashion is what email is for. Yep. So uh, email is something that we use a lot as out-of-office workers, and so too is the cloud. So the cloud is uh, really what has enabled the out-of-office work style for millions of workers around the world, or out-of-office workers around the world. So if you're working out of office, then you're probably using the cloud already, and you should continue to do so. And in doing so, focus on two themes. Firstly, your personal productivity and collaboration with others. So when it comes to personal productivity, the cloud has two important roles to play. Firstly, if information isn't already in the cloud, then that's where you can store it even before you process it. This gives you a lot greater flexibility in what, how, when and where you process information that you're working with. So you can store information in the cloud using tools like Evernote and Dropbox and Google Docs and a whole host more. So that's a good these are all good storage repositories on the cloud for information that you come across. Or you can use tools like Pocket, which provide um, basically bookmarks or links to interesting information, and Pocket stores those bookmarks in the cloud. So once you've got that information stored in the cloud, then you've got the power to choose how you consume it. So you can consume it in the form of text like blogs and articles and reports, or you can choose to consume it as audio like podcasts or videos from places like YouTube and Vimeo. Yeah, and I can speak from personal experience of the value of having information in the cloud, Chris, because I recently bought a new computer and unfortunately spilled coffee on the keyboard. And I had to send it off to get repaired. I had to send it back to Toshiba to get it repaired. So for a week, I was without my new computer. And luckily, I had my old computer, and that was still working, even though it was a bit slow and clunky. And I was surprised, pleasantly surprised, at how easy it was just to switch back to that and use it for for that week because I had my Gmail in the cloud. I had my Evernote all my notes in the cloud. I had my accounting software. Zero was uh, is now cloud based. I was surprised at how easy it was to switch back to that, and it wasn't perfect, but it was pretty good, and I was still pretty effective. But because I had so much in the cloud, yeah, it's an excellent example of the power that the cloud provides out of office workers. 
So that's where you store information. The other component is where you publish information. So if you publish information to the cloud as soon as you can, rather than just hoarding it on your hard disk, which is what you didn't do, Gihan, you stored mm-hmm. it in the cloud or published it to the cloud, that, that means that you're, you're freed up from having to process that backlog. And also, you're making it available to others for use uh, sooner than if you were hoarding it on a, on a hard disk or something. And there are a lot of ways that you can publish to the cloud. So you can publish publicly to places like Twitter and LinkedIn and Google+. And you can also schedule the way that you publish to the cloud using tools like Buffer. And another public forum is places like Blogs. But if you've got restricted information that you want to publish, say just to a, a, a smaller audience, then you can use something like Wikis. That's personal productivity. The other aspect or the other theme of using of continuing to use the cloud is collaboration with others. And broadly speaking, there are there are two types of cloud. There's the personal cloud where you're storing and publishing information for personal productivity, and there's also the shared cloud, which is what you're going to use for collaborating with others. And there's all kinds of things that you can uh, collaborate on. So things like documents that uh, you can publish them to Google Docs, for instance, and you get control over who can read and write to those documents, and you can do things like collaborative editing and version control and annotations and comments. You can publish your calendar and again you can control who has visibility and what kinds of um, what kinds of read and write permissions that your colleagues get. And there are clever tools like TimeBridge and Need to Meet that um, resolve those conflicts that you often get when you're trying to schedule meetings with lots of people who've got lots of constraints over, the, over their availability. And there are also cloud-based tools for um, online booking systems. So if you've got a business or a resource that relies on clients or customers booking that resource, then there are lots of tools online for enabling those booking systems. You can also publish your contacts. So um, again, it's just like your calendar. You can control who can who can read and write to your contacts. Or if you're a member of a sales team, then there are C- cloud cloud-based CRM systems for sharing customer information. Gihan, you just mentioned Gmail. That's a cloud-based email platform. And then there's uh, Google Apps allows you to actually share your your cloud-based email with others. Then there are communication tools. So there's immediate tools where all of the all of the uh, the participants are present at the same time. So things like Skype, which is what Kihan and I are using now, or Google Hangouts and GoToMeeting. Uh, and then there's deferred communications, cloud-based mechanisms like online forums, and bulletin boards. And finally, there are things like productivity tools. So tools like Basecamp for project management and Jira and Track and Bugzilla for online or cloud-based ticketing systems. Yeah, great. I think the other thing we should probably say is that the things that we've talked about are probably the most common cloud-based tools at the moment, but there are always new tools coming out. So just keep abreast of whatever's new and just try a few things and you might find that one of them is more effective than what you're currently using. Absolutely. Okay, so the next thing is a thing that I think you should continue doing, especially if you're an out-of-office worker, is to continue to build your profile. And of course, this is true for anybody, whether it's your internal profile within your organization or your external profile to build your authority online. But I think it's especially true for out-of-office workers because it's so easy if your organization doesn't really embrace out-of-office work, if it kind of just tolerates it or accepts it, then it's so easy for you as an out-of-office worker to be forgotten or ignored unless unless you've got a really proactive boss who really looks out for you and takes care of you and, and thinks about some of the disadvantages you have because you're not um, in the office all the time. So it's a little bit like out of sight, out of mind. So you have to take responsibility for your own 
for your own growth and your own profile and your own career development. So, for example, as an out-of-office worker, take, take responsibility for things like just participating, especially online. So there may be online forums or wikis or online meetings that you can attend and participate in. So make an effort to do that. Take that one step further and even volunteer to present. So there are possibly opportunities for you to lead meetings or to make presentations within meetings, to write blog posts and articles for your internal blog, to write an article for your organization's newsletter. Just do that because it gets your name seen and you may need to do that more than other people do because they don't see you in other ways. And this is all kind of taking leadership opportunities and even create leadership opportunities if you can. So you might choose to set up some sort of working group and volunteer to do that because you think it's useful. But also by you doing that, you're seen as somebody who takes initiative. If there are online forums or online wikis, you might choose to be a moderator of that forum or that wiki again. To, to be useful, that's the first part. But secondly, it's a little bit self-serving as well because it does serve you to show to show your face, even if it's a even if it's a virtual face. And then looking at your own development, looking at your own career development, look for courses. There may be online courses or offline courses that you'd like to attend, and ask your boss to send you to them. Now you, you may think, well, that's going to happen anyway, and everyone has to do that. And again, that's true. But it may be that people who are in the office get sent to courses that are held on site or close to site, but they forget about you because you're out of office. And so you get excluded from that or you're expected to do your own growth and development. And so if that's the case, then take take responsibility for that. And it may be offline courses that you want to do, but they're in your location and they may not be anywhere near where the office is. Uh, ask for a mentor. So look for mentoring opportunities in both ways. So look for mentors that you would like within the organization or maybe even outside it and then offer to be a mentor. So even if you're a junior person in the organization, just recognize that you might have certain skills that other people don't like online collaboration and maybe working while traveling and maybe using social media and online platforms. And you may be able to mentor other people in the organization who don't have those sort of skills. So to look at mentoring as a, as a two-way street that you can look for mentors and you should do that, but also look for opportunities to mentor other people. And this is all part of your network. So look at, look at ways that you can use your external network to add value to your work. So in other words, there may be people that you communicate with in online forums uh, where you can, without without breaching confidentiality, actually ask them for help. Ask them for help for, um, in, for work-related tasks and they'll be quite happy to help you. For, for example, you might be a member of a LinkedIn group and those people might be able to help you answer a work-related question as much as or maybe sometimes better than your your internal team. And also look at ways that you can turn it the other way around. Uh, let's say the LinkedIn group example again. Are there ways that the somebody in your LinkedIn group wants help that you can bring not just your expertise, but also the weight of the whole organization? So all of these things are looking at ways of you as an out-of-office worker taking responsibility for building your own profile and growing your own career in addition to what the organization does. Very good, Gihan. So we mentioned at the start that we would have a seventh bonus resolution, and I guess it's also a continue one, Gihan. It's continue to grow and learn as an out-of-office worker, and it's an opportunity for us to provide a shameless plug for our book. One of the ways that you can continue to grow and learn is to read books about working out of office and telecommuting. So there's our own book at outofofficebook.com, and you can buy the ebook version there. And we also have a blog there where we post inf- interesting 
links to articles about telecommuting and working out of office. And there's also um, episodes devoted to each of our podcast episodes. And previously, we've reviewed a few other books that relate to out-of-office work. You can uh, find that in the archives of the blog. Um, and there are, uh, and we point to many other resources that can help you grow and learn as an out-of-office worker. Is there anything else you can add, Gihan? Well, I was just going to just reinforce what you said, Chris, not just, not just to be self-promotional, mm-hmm. but because most of the things that we publish to our blog – apart from these podcast episodes, most of the things that we publish to the blog are actually links to other resources. So it's a really good place, a really good hub if you want to start off to find out more about working out of office or maybe maybe even managing people who are out-of-office workers. So I'd highly recommend that. Just go to outofofficebook.com. And if you've got any questions for us, if you'd like to contact us, you can also leave comments on the blog. So if, uh, we're, we're happy to answer your questions and provide guidance through that blog as well. Yeah. Absolutely. So we'll be back in a month's time with another episode of the Out of Office podcast. So it remains for me to thank you, Gihan, for your time and insight and sharing that with us today. And I'll speak to you again next month. Great. Thanks very much, Chris. Bye for now. Visit our website at outofofficebook.com where you can read all our show notes, subscribe to the podcast, and get our book, Out of Office. We wish you all the best in creating the work style of your choice.